Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. And sometimes it feels overwhelming, but I know my God is able. We don't just provide empty words for empty minds, but we provide the message of a God who's in a good mood, who loves us eternally, unconditionally, irretrievably, and He is able to make all things, all things, all things. Right now, whatever need you, you're facing, maybe it's financial, maybe it's physical, maybe it's relational. May the God of my Lord Jesus Christ, the Heavenly Father, meet your deepest soul needs according to His riches in glory land. May the grace of God fall upon you and be enough. When you cry out, Lord, take this away, He will say, my grace is enough. He is the pearl from paradise. He is the glory from eternity. And He is able to meet your needs. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks to the musicians. Wasn't that a wonderful time of worship? I just want to say um, to the life group that's taking up the offering, if you could come forward. We do, we do this on Sundays as part of our worship because part of our worship is um, making our generosity known to meet the needs of the house. And I know people don't walk around with cash these days, hey, hey Wally, like we did back in the day when we had to go to the, the building society on a Saturday morning to go and draw your, your weekly cash before the plastic came out. Now everybody's got plastic and uh, people don't walk around with cash. But we still do an offering uh, because it represents that we as this house meet the needs of this house. We don't get a grant, a subsidy from the, the government or from any denominational headquarters. So I wonder, even if you, only, if you give EFT, so you don't have anything in your hands, just take your hand anyway. In, as a representation. Or if you do have something to give, and it's nice to come with something, let me say to you, we believe God can meet all our needs. But He meets those needs often through those in the family. So all those in the family have to do is say, Lord, what part do you want me to play? For some, one, it's, it's a dime. For someone else, it's a bit more. For someone else, it's the first fruit of a, of a inheritance or a, whatever it is. If we just do what he shows us to do, then all the needs are met. Amen? And we continue being a lighthouse in a community where people are saved and people are baptized. People will be discipled and grow and be released from here into their homes and their families. So as we come...
to another end of the month. It's the 25th today. I want you in your heart just to say, Lord, what is my part? Can you do that? Can you do that right now? Lord, what is my part? As we take up the offering, thanks. As this uh, group is going out, let me highlight that this is one of the home cells in the church. Uh, come on, give them a hand. They're such a good-looking home cell. And our home cells meet during the week. But while we're doing the discipleship course, we some of the life groups are meeting here on the Monday night, 7 to 8 o'clock. And other life groups are meeting in the week, and they have a representative here who then comes and takes the teaching back. So we finished the, the month of March. Did you Have you enjoyed? We've got one more to go. This Monday night is our last one. We've done uh, correctly dividing the covenants, new creation realities, new kinds of righteousness, and then we're finishing off with reigning in life. This has been the month of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Can you believe we've already done the first month, the Father heart, we've done the grace of our Lord Jesus, and then we have a short break now over Easter, and then we come back after two weeks, and we go into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Woo! I, I, I'm looking forward to that. I, I've loved all of this, but we're going to be looking at the person, the gifts, and how to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, we'll finish this up tomorrow night. For those who have been part of the discipleship uh, training, seeing that that is our number one calling, it's something the church should take seriously, and we are taking it seriously this year. And then this coming weekend, we will have a Friday morning, Good Friday service, one hour, nine to ten. Got the whole Oshlager family and their drama team involved in that. Should be a good time together as we celebrate. Let me say that, I'm just aware that the Easter weekend is one of those times in the year, if you put in two days leave, you can go away for about three weeks. And that's good and needed and necessary and it's very spiritual over the Easter weekend if that's what you're doing if you're away. But let's not just treat it like an ordinary long weekend. Come on, church. This is the highlight of our Christian Experience of the year, it's, it's celebrating the death and the burial and the resurrection of our great Lord, Jesus Christ. So even if you are away, come on, take the bread, take the cup, get together with friends and family on the morning and celebrate. If you're not with us on Friday morning, Saturday morning, you can be with us in spirit, amen? This time of the month, lots of Easter eggs and lots of crucifixes everywhere. Crucif- what is, I don't know what a crucifix means to most people. To us, it's something spiritual and dear. For some, I think it's just um, ornamental. See a lot of tattoos now? Crosses, 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 crosses. Some, it's uh, maybe a statement. For others, it was a gift. Uh, uh, something that was um, f- fashionable at the time or whatever. But in New Testament times, the cross meant something very different. Today you see them everywhere. Bumper stickers on church buildings, in churches. And we have a, a, a feeling of endearment towards a, a cross. But it wasn't always like that. There was a time when the cross was an offense 
It was seen as weakness. It was seen as tragedy. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians where he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Praise God. The cross was a stumbling block. It was an offense. But Paul said to those perishing, this message is foolishness. But to us who are saved, it is the wisdom of God. To those who are lost, how could this one who claimed to be God, I am, who said before Abraham was I am, how could this one voluntarily submit himself to a criminal death and shame and to be ostracized. It doesn't make sense. They wanted something powerful. They wanted something magnificent. They wanted signs. They wanted deep philosophies. They wanted the... Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, and all wrapped up in one to come and leap over single buildings and catch bullets with his teeth and deliver by the mighty rockets spewing out of his mouth. How could this one who claimed to be God? Foolish to them. But to us, the hands that voluntarily submitted to the nails were the same hands that sprinkled the solar systems into the galaxy and into orbit. Were the same hands that healed and delivered. The same hands that carved out oceans and plumbed up mountains and said, I, the Lord, your God, am one God, Jehovah Almighty. This was the I am. To us who are saved, this message is a glorious, victorious message. Can you say amen? 
So I want to share this morning, why is the cross an offense, foolishness, a stumbling block? Just four things quickly. Number one, because it represented the condemnation of criminals. It represented the condemnation of criminals. No one walks around today with an electric chair hanging around a golden chain around his neck or with a hangman's noose in his ear. Well, they might do, but that's kind of not normal. Imagine coming into an auditorium and singing, Oh, that wonderful electric chair. Wouldn't do it. It would be foolish. It would be a scandal. It would offend you. Why? Because you know what it means. You know what it stands for. You know its connotation. Paul says to those who are lost, this message is like that. It speaks of a criminal's death. It talks about those who were humiliated in an undignified manner. It was a sign of weakness to those who were perishing. It claimed what we deserved was to be treated like criminals. When this message was preached, and Paul said, it is no longer our love, but Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified. They knew what he said. They knew what he meant. And it was a, a stench to intellectual. It was a joke to those with deep philosophies. When Paul went to King Agrippa and began talking about the cross, he says, Paul, 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 go away. Much learning has made you mad. I'll send for you another time. Why? Because King Agrippa wanted his ears teased. He wanted his ears tickled. He wanted some fancy little catchphrases and fancy little make you good feeling, leave you with little butterflies in your stomach kind of a TED talk on a Saturday morning message. Paul came to preach the cross, the scandal, the offense, the ugliness. And it's wiser than man's wisdom. See where his wisdom got him? In a lot of trouble. Using all that wisdom to to build bombs that protect you from other countries' bombs that will defend you from these bombs so those bombs can't hit you with those bombs. Man's wisdom, his ingenuity, They say even the the modern PC came out of man's quest for military advancement. Because we live in a fallen world, we need a military. But can you imagine if that energy and budget and expertise and brilliance was used on, on food techniques on this planet and housing projects and medical advancements? That's man's wisdom for you. Foolish. The second thing, why it's foolish, is because it speaks about shedding blood. It speaks about shedding blood. And that's why it's foolishness. I could only imagine in the house I grew up in with my parents and our unchurched, unbibled, never put our foot in a church family, if someone came and spoke about the blood they would think, man, you, you go down to the butcher's shop. That's where you belong. 
not here in civilization, in the 20th century, talking about the need to shed blood. That's a gory butcher shop message. We've progressed and moved beyond that. The Bible says that the life is in the blood. You see, in the same way you can't see air, but you can see the effects of air when it blows, when it spins, in its movement, in the trees. But you can't see air. See, you can't see life. But life pulsates through our body, through our blood. Even the oxygen we breathe is miraculously transformed through our system and it goes through the vessels and, and, and replenishes every cell in your body, nutrients and oxygen, and then extracts the toxins and, and, and the carbon dioxide. And when you exhale, you exhale. Think of that where you're sitting right now. You're breathing in, your heart's pumping blood around your body, and you're breathing out, and you didn't even think about that until I brought it up now. Life is in the blood. And God's holiness demanded that he kept his word when he said, the soul that sins will die. There's eight things about this blood that are worth looking at. Number one, it's the mercy seat where we are made at one with God. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. It's a place where our sins are forgiven through the blood. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. The blood speaks about us being reconciled to God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood. Of Christ. The blood speaks of us being justified, which is more than just being forgiven. It's being put in right standing with God since we have now been justified by His blood. The blood is where we find peace with God, says Colossians, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It gives us confident entrance into the presence of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. It ensures us of victory, which we're going to hear more about tomorrow night. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Come on, church. That is what the blood does. That is why if you want to remove blood teaching out of the Bible, you'll have to tear off the Bible out. We sing about the blood. We revel in the blood. But let me tell you, to those who are perishing, it's foolishness. They listen to this. And it doesn't make sense. But to those who are saved, it is the power of salvation, of reconciliation, of entrance into the presence of God, of no condemnation and of eternal hope. Come on, can you say amen to that this morning? To those who are perishing, didn't make sense that this one who claimed to be God would be buried in a borrowed tomb. Imagine that. 
God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, gets buried in a borrowed tomb. Well, here's the thing. For those who are saved, they look past the buried tomb. And if you're only going to be there for a short while, it doesn't matter if it's only a borrowed tomb because Jesus only had to be there long enough to clean it up and make sure that those who wait for the eternal resurrection will have a place. Amen? A foolish message. Thirdly, why it was an offense. It calls us to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We know that he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses it for me will find it. I mean, what kind of king calls an army to follow him and says, oh, by the way, the first thing we're going to do is all get killed. Hello? I mean, what kind of king says, you're going to first die, and then we're going to get on with the job? I mean, to the pagans, this is insane. They got visions of Thor coming with and smashing the nations. That's what they want. In fact, historians show that when the northern tribes came down into the UK and uh, the British Isles, then they were they were horrified. They were offended by the simplistic religion called Christianity. It was a joke to them that this God, number one, was so egocentric that he claimed to be the only God. That was their first stumbling block. And that he let people kill him. I mean, Thor would never do that. The pagan gods would never do that. This is insane. This is crazy. He's such a weak God. How can you serve a weak God? A God who's insipid. A God who says to his soldiers, come follow me and you can die. But to us who are saved, the preaching of the cross is the power of God unto salvation. And I know taking up your cross is both In the literal sense, it was a person going to meet his death. And in a metaphoric sense, it was taking a stand for something that would cause you to be persecuted. You know there's been real persecution through the ages. People have lost their lives, lost their loved ones. Real persecution because they stood for something. Maybe you don't encounter that kind of persecution, but your faith in Jesus is met by ridicule from those around you because it's foolishness. Maybe it's just having to forgive the same person over and over and over, even when you're not in the wrong. You have to ask for forgiveness. Maybe it's just an offense you picked up and it's a burden. Or maybe it's just a struggle you're going through. Your cross can take on different forms. And Jesus said, you're going to carry a cross because the student is not above his master. And that might even go to the point of being ostracized and criticized. And I know that that experience of those who you thought were your friends find out you've believed in this ridiculous message and begin to withdraw yourself. Don't worry about leaving them. They'll leave you. Hello? 
And there's some pain in that. I'm not advocating we be silly and cause our own persecution. But let me say this. If we are never feeling ostracized or ridiculed or marginalized in some way because of what we believe, maybe nobody knows what you believe. Is that a bit hard for a Sunday morning? But I mean, if we are never being ostracized, if, if, if there's never any sense of persecution or misunderstanding of what we believe, that we have a cross to carry, then maybe nobody knows. And we are, we are a private secret disciple of Jesus that will be revealed one day when he returns. No, my friend. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. In the synagogues, they will persecute you. Their authorities will persecute you. You'll be taken before magistrates and law courts because of me. Don't live in a fool's paradise that what we believe is popular. It's an offense. Well, thanks, Steve, for letting me come to church this morning to give me this good news. Well, somebody had to tell you. Somebody had to tell you. Then finally, it claims, why it's a scandal is because it claims to be the only way to God. John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that, my friend, is the greatest insult to human wisdom and philosophy that you could ever give. Because surely there are many roads to the natural mind, to the present worldview. The thought that Christians have the audacity to say, unless you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, and receive the gift as your own, you cannot be saved. That, my friends, is a scandal out in the world. It's a joke. It's laughable. Enjoy the full weight of them laughing at you and heckling and making a fool of you because the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. The weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. And Paul said, I preached this gospel and I didn't succumb to their philosophies and need for signs and wonders, lest the cross be emptied of its power. So yes, this time of the year, we talk a lot about the cross. We talk a lot about the blood. We talk a lot about Christ's passion and suffering. I would encourage you to take your Gospels and read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the last few chapters about the Passion Week. And let this time of the year embed and solidify these truths into your life because it is who you are. Come on, church. It's who you are. It's who I am. And it claims to be the only way, not one of the ways. And to those who are perishing, they might hum and haw, and some might not even want to get into an argument about it, but they think that is absolutely ridiculous through the foolishness of what was preached. Here's a thought I want to leave with you. 
Worship team is going to come up in about two minutes. We're going to finish up as we pray. He has a thought for you. If you got a phone call from the presidency's office inviting you to a meeting, union building, one o'clock on the 15th of September, and you looked in your diary and you saw, hang on, I've got to pick my son up from school. So maybe I'll send a message to the president saying, listen, there's a great wimpy bar down the road from me. So instead of me coming to the White House, is it possible, I'm, I'm just suggesting, maybe you could meet me halfway and we could go to the wimpy. So I, I mean, it's ridiculous. Steve, what are you talking about this morning? Well, I'm simply saying this, that God determines the place of meeting with him. And it's at the cross. It's at the cross where we meet with the Lord of glory. It's at the cross where we come and bow our knee in humility. It's at the cross where we say, take away my selfish pride and my sense of achievement and philosophy and needs for signs and wonders to show who you are. At the cross, I come and bow my knee and I say, your blood is enough for me. Your blood is sufficient because Jesus, through your blood, you redeem people from every tribe and every tongue and every people. And on that day, they will stand before you and they will say, not of ourselves, not by our works, not by our wisdom, but by the blood of the Lamb. It has been done. It has been accomplished. Come on church, let's stand up together. This morning is a precursor to Easter and next weekend we're going to continue the celebration. But this morning now, let's just stand up together and allow these words to soak and saturate our hearts today. Jesus.